are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Let's turn in the Word of God in the book of Matthew, chapter 23. I'd like to read a sermon that Jesus preached tonight. If you were to tell me, and I wasn't a believer, and I didn't read the Bible, if you were to tell me Jesus preached a sermon like this, I'd say, you just don't know what you're talking about. Jesus never talked like that. He never used that kind of language. He never preached that kind of sermon. Let's read tonight what Jesus said in one of his sermons. Matthew chapter 23. Now, notice it starts with the word then. I told you this morning, I've been thinking about some of these little seemingly insignificant words in the Bible. You see the last few verses of chapter 22? Jesus asked an important question. He said, what thank you of Christ? Well, the Pharisees, these religious leaders said he's son of David. They didn't have that right at all. And so after that, and Jesus knowing they did not believe in his divinity, his deity, he preached the straightest sermon Jesus Christ ever preached. This is it. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. Lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do are to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called master, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Now notice in the chapter starting here, Eight times Jesus pronounced woe upon his audience. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourself, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! You compass sea and land to make one proselyte. When he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple. Verse 17, he says, You fools and blind. Verse 19 again, he says, You fools and blind. Then let's turn over verse 22. He that shall swear by heaven swears for the throne of God by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. 
ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter. Then notice verse 27 says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, you're hypocrites, he says. Then verse 29 again, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. Say, if we had been in the day of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that do the children of them which killed the prophets. Verse 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Now you think of it. Talking to religious people. I think we could safely say, talking to the the only orthodox crowd of his day. Maybe what we might call the fundamentalist of his day. Jesus preached this scathing denunciation against religious hypocrisy. There never has been a straighter sermon. Now listen, I believe this with all my heart. I've been a pastor in the same place, same church, for over 18 years. I believe that if there's a group of people on earth that love the Lord and believe the Bible and will take straight preaching, I believe those people would. But I say unto you tonight, with all my heart, I believe this. I'm not just saying it to try to impress you. I believe if Jesus were to come to the Emmanuel Baptist Church of Pontiac and preach the sermon that he preached in this 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, I believe with all my heart he'd make nearly everybody in my place mad. I don't know for sure whether the deacon would take it or not. I think a lot of people would get up and walk out on it. I say to you tonight, if Jesus were to preach in the best church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, like he preached in this 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, there'd be a lot of preachers to get mad. A lot of pastors say, oh, you took unfair advantage. Listen, Jesus here is talking to his own disciples and warning them against another group. You say, preacher, I don't think you ought to ever talk about other folks and warn against other groups and call names and point out things so plainly and be so outspoken about it. Well, listen, my friend, Jesus did. Jesus did it. There never has been a plainer sermon than this one Jesus preached. Well, it closed. Oh, how beautifully it closed. It closed with a preacher having a broken heart. When he comes to the close of the sermon, listen to him. From a broken heart, tender and compassionate, he cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that have sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thee to myself as a hen gathers her chicken, but you would not. It told with a broken heart. But listen, Jesus put it plainly. Jesus put the cards on the table. Jesus hit where it hurt. Jesus Christ put his finger on the sore spot. He dealt with the Christian people. Now then, in this chapter, he accused them of several things. He said, what you do, you do to be seen of men. You take out of the average Christian's life what he does in order to impress people. He wouldn't have much left. He said, you do it to be seen of men. You love the uppermost seats. You love to be called by a title. We hired two PhDs in our school this year. I don't know where I felt I ought to talk to them. They're good men. They're humble men. They're sweet men. They're godly men. They're soul-winning men. But I said I want to, all three of us to get in the office and I've got something very seriously, that, serious I want to talk to you about. And I said, now about those PhDs, this is what I want to say to you about it. 
Forget that you have it. Forget it. Oh, we put the emphasis too long on the wrong thing. You know, education is wonderful. But it's not education that's the crying need in the churches of America tonight. It's not more than that. Oh, Jesus said, you'd like to be called by title. And then he said, he called them five names. He said, you're hypocrites, you fools, blind guides, you whited sepulchres, you're serpents. Now that's plain preaching. That kind of preaching makes somebody mad. No good old sister come up after a sermon like that and say, Jesus, that was a sweet little dog. No, sterling. Jesus got right down to business. Now notice, in this chapter, he pointed out something was seriously wrong. I'm no great man. I'm a happy Christian. I'm, I'm happy in the Lord. I, I believe that God is able to do great things. Listen, you and I know tonight that there's a lot wrong even in the fundamental ranks in our nation tonight. Listen, you and I know that a lot of the churches tonight that are called and claimed to be Bible-believing fundamental churches are dead and cold and no life and no revival and no spirit and no soul being saved. Now listen, there's something wrong. Let's see if we can find out what it is. Well, where are we going to put the blame? Let's start out with God. Let's see if we can charge God with something. Let's see if we can find out where God's failed. Oh, I was thinking tonight of old Elisha. God bless that little old fly boy. Old Elisha. Uh, when Elijah got ready to be caught up, Elijah kind of suspicious of And uh, Elijah did too. And uh, they started out uh, together. And old Elijah said, Now I've got to go to bed. You wait here. Elijah said, Oh, not me. I'm not waiting here. I'm going with you. And Elijah, I think, deep down inside, he just grinned all over his bed. He didn't want to really get rid of it. He wanted to see if he could get rid of it. And he said, No, I'm not going to Bethel. And there's some young preachers around. I'm not going to say I'm going with you. And there's some young preachers around. Fifty of them, the Bible says. And they all had to say something. And they said, You know, your master's going to get caught up today. He said, Yeah, I know that. Now, don't be talking to me. I'm busy. I got something on my mind. Hold your peace, he said, three times. He said, You just shut up. Leave me alone. I'm going to get something today. And Elijah, Elijah said, I've got to go to Jericho. Elijah, you stay here. He said, No, sir. I'm not staying here. I'm with you. I'm going with you. Well, he said, I've got to go over Jordan. You wait on this side. I'll go over the other side. Uh-uh. I'm not going to do that. I'm going over with you. This young preacher said, they're going to, he's going to be caught up today. He said, yeah, I know it. Hold your peace now. Shut up. Don't be talking to me. I'm going to get something today. i got something on my mind. Well, Elijah came to the river Jordan. Pulled off his coat. Boy, I'd like to see him. He rolled it up a time or two and off he hit the water and it parted and away they went on dry land. Went over on the other side and over on the other side. The Lord caught Elijah away. Now listen, when before he left, Elijah said, what would you like to have? And he was no little timid, hypocritical little preacher. He, he didn't say, oh, I'd like to be somewhat like you. Well, listen, if, if I had been in his face that day and Elijah had said, Tom, what would you like to have? I think I'd have said, sir, you have performed eight miracles. I'd sure like to perform at least one, but not that country five-boy preacher, Elijah. He said, no, I want a double portion of that spirit. Now, you've done eight, I want to do sixteen. Boy, he had a big cup, and he said, I want to get it full right now. 
And the 50 young preachers still watching. And he knew all that. Well, Elisha went home. And Elisha came back to the Jordan. And uh, he stood at the Jordan and cried. Where's the Lord God of Elijah? God said, I like that little guy. And I'm going to show folks where the Lord God of Elijah is. He pulled off his coat. He rolled it up a time or two. And what he hit the water. Then the 50 preacher said, he got what he went after today. No, there's nothing wrong with God. That's what he wanted to prove. He wanted to prove that God didn't change because Elijah was no longer on the scene. He said, if God can do it for Elijah, God can do it for Elisha. And my friends, there's nothing wrong with God. Don't you ever lay the blame on God. And well, let's see, where are we going to put the blame? Somebody said, let's blame the, the outside. Let's blame the sinner. And people say, they say to Dr. Rice, they say to every preacher, don't you think it's hard to win people? Don't you think folks are getting colder and colder and hard to win? No, I don't think so at all. Listen, I tell you tonight, there are more broken hearts tonight than ever before. I believe with all my soul tonight that more hungry people than I've ever known in all my life. In all my life, I've never had so many people ringing the phone, begging for help, crying out to be saved. Wanting somebody to tell them about Jesus. No, I don't think we're going to be able to lay it outside the church door. Well, let's see who we're going to blame. We've got to blame somebody. Well, let's suspect the devil. Let's lay it on him, you say. No, I don't like the devil. I've been mad. Somebody said to me one time, Sometimes, Brother Tom, when you preach and you act like you're mad. Listen, I am. I'm about half mad all the time. I'm not kidding you. I've been mad at the devil for 25 years. I really have it. I don't know about you, but I really feel his power sometimes. And, and I can see him trying to work and trying to fool me. And he's smarter than I am. You may think I'm a nut tonight and I couldn't care less what you think. But I was riding along from the city of Detroit one night years ago. And I felt, I felt his power so strong and I pulled off the side of the room. And I said, devil, you get out of this car. I'm not going to haul you up and down the road. Listen, I'm not going to pay for gasoline and pay for a car and, and make the payments to haul the devil around. I never heard anything, but I suspicion he hit the ground out there. But I don't want to lay anything on the devil that ought not to be laid on. I don't think you can lay it on the devil. The cold dead church, the backslidden Christian, the churches that never see a soul thing. The churches that do not grow. The Sunday schools that are a failure. The trouble that we're in. The mess we're having. I don't think we can lay it entirely on the devil. Where are we going to lay it? Can't lay it on God. Can't lay it on the law. Can't put it on the devil. That only leaves me and you, brother. That's where we're going to put it. That's where Jesus put it. Jesus said in verse 13, You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Now watch this. There is nothing more pathetic than this. For you neither go in yourselves and neither suffer them that are entering to go in. Jesus said to these religious people, you are shutting up the gates of heaven against men. I believe that's happening today. I believe with all my soul that the preachers that are guilty of holding the gates of heaven. I believe that they're crowds and groups Religious folks today who are guilty cutting up heaven against men. 
Well, simply and plainly, there are five things in this guy. Five reasons, five ways that I think Jesus brought out that folks shut up the kingdom of heaven. Notice verse 3. First of all, he said, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not after their work. Now watch it. Here's a lot of our, a lot of us have this trouble. For they say and they do not. These people were guilty of lip service only. They talked like fundamental Christians. They talked about the commandments and the Bible and the law and religious ritual. They talked about prayer and tithing and the same things that we talk about. But Jesus said it's lip service only. Jesus said you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Oh, I believe tonight that there's a many a Christian, and perhaps sitting right in this room this evening, there's a many a Christian that's been aiming and intending for years to do something for God, and has never done it yet. I think of that dear old lady that I heard about once. Every time the preacher preach on prayer, she'd say, I aim to pray more. If her pastor preach on tithing, she'd say, I aim to tithe more. If he'd preach on witnessing, she'd say, I aim to witness more. It is said that one Wednesday night, she, she got up and she started to take aim again. She said, I aim. And he said, wait a minute, lady. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but he said, I've been your pastor for 15 years. And you feel, you've been given the same old dried up testimony all this time. He said, you've been aiming for 15 years. He said, now lady, for God's sake, go ahead and shoot. A lot of people have been eating. What would you think of a hunter tonight? If he went out hunting, gone all loaded, nice hunting suit on, a double barrel, 12 gauge shotgun. If he went out hunting, up flies the bird, take aim. Somebody holler, shoot. Oh no, might hit something. No. The average Christian tonight has done a lot of aiming, but never fired one time. Jesus said, do not answer their works. For they say and they do not. I was thinking today of Dr. Rice, whom God has blessed him on. You know, the Lord blesses anybody that's full of the Holy Spirit. God blesses anybody that's dedicated to the Bible and saturated with it and reads it daily and meditates in it day and night. But I'm going to tell you something else. God blesses a Christian who's not too lazy to exert himself and put himself out and work for God. Well, that's an ugly word, isn't it? Work. Work. Boy, you can scare the average church member today to death if you get talking about work. I had an experience when I was nine years old. I was taken with my brother and put on a farm in North Alabama. My grandfather, God bless him. Oh, I, I never have been a greater man in many ways than my grandfather. He lived to be 91 and a half. He was in his 70th wedding year when he died. He left 109 living descendants, nearly every one of them saved. He read the New Testament through after he was really an old man. He read the New Testament through 28 times and marking it with a little short pencil ever verse he read. He'd spread it on the dining room table and he'd get in and read. He read the old book through as he called it many, many times. Marking and meditating and thinking and praying and searching as he read it. He read it through and through so many, many times. Now as a nine-year-old boy, my home broken by a drunkard father. 
My brother and I were taken to the farm and my grandfather took us out in the field one day. I was just nine years old. He gave me one of the ugliest looking things I've ever laid eyes on. It was a hoe. Boy, now that is an ugly thing. He gave my brother one and he said, now boys, this is going to be the schedule. He said, we'll be out in the field when the 615 train comes through. Of course, before you come, the 12 cows to milk, six apiece. None of this milking by machinery business when I was a boy. This was the machine. Said we'll milk the cows. We'll be out at 6.15. He said when the sun gets right straight up overhead, come to lunch, your grandmother, come to the house, your grandmother have lunch for you. He said work till the sun, just before it drops over the hill, hurry home. There'll be water to carry and wood to cut and the stock to feed and 12 cows to be milked again. And he said... When you get through that, your grandmother will have supper for you. He turned and started to walk out with you, and he turned back, and he said this. And he said, by the way, boys, as long as you live here, he said, when the night comes and you get all this done, you're free to do what you please. Boys, it almost stacks up now. I said to my brother, boy, he's going to be wonderful to get along with. But boy, I learned something that day when night came. I turned that old fool around and got a hold of the business end of it in one hand and drug the handle all the way to the house. And there's something else dragging too. <laughs> and I learned something that day. I learned that boys who work hard stay out of me. And I've learned since I've been preaching 25 years as Christians who do what God says and serve Him and win souls stay out of me. Many a church has been split because the people weren't working. You know, good old-fashioned, hard Christian work. Go out and knock on doors, dig sinners out, win them to the Lord. Well, put down more trouble than anything else in the world. Jesus said, now you shut up heaven because you talk big, but you don't do much. Boy, that could come down pretty close to home tonight. Notice the second place. He said, uh, you're indifferent to human needs. Let's read verse 4. He said they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. Lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They didn't care about people's burdens. They didn't care about others having broken hearts. They were people without compassion and without love and without sympathy. And they were people that didn't care about the burdens and needs of other folks. Now listen, I believe tonight with all my heart, that our churches are filled with people. I don't know they say it's not. I believe our churches are filled with people who don't give the snap of their finger for the folks get saved tonight. I've got people in my church who've been seeing people saved for 18 years, week in and week out. I've seen people walk down the aisle bent with conviction and weeping. I've seen drunkards saved and harlots saved and, and people saved by the scores. And I've seen some of the members of my church stand with a dry as if they were out of a street corner watching the folks go up and down the street. I say to you tonight, there's a many a Christian who does not care whether people get saved or not. I was holding a meeting up in Wooster some months ago. There was a young man had gone from that church up to the seminary to study for the ministry. That young man had said to me several times, he said, Brother Tom, since I've been saved, I've been burdened to get my daddy saved. That my daddy's lost. I want my daddy to be saved. And this was his home church where we were holding a revival. We went through the week and people were saved. 
about every service, I think. We came this Sunday morning, the pastor said you'll speak twice this morning. Said we'll have a 10 o'clock service during Sunday school, then a service at 11 o'clock. Uh, just about the time the 10 o'clock service started, this young preacher boy came and said, Brother Tom, my daddy's here this morning. And boy, just one look at him, just tore me all to pieces. He said, I want my daddy to be saved. He said, pray that he be saved today. And his lips were trembling. He was moved with emotion. Sweet, humble, Christian boy. We started preaching at 10 o'clock. We got to the invitation about a quarter to 11. During the invitation, I saw that young preacher boy. I saw him go back to his father. He's sitting on a bench right in front of him. His father and mother right behind him. I saw him go out the end of the bench and go back, take a step back in the aisle, back to where that is. His daddy was. I saw him with his Bible in his arm begin to talk to him. The big tears were rolling down his face. I saw him put his arms around I saw the man drop his head but shake it. No, 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 not now. I knew just about what he was saying. I saw that young preacher boy standing there with a open heart, both the static to say. People were watching. I grew up to young manhood thinking that that's right. It's all about that hairbrush. You'd say to my mother tonight, you'd say to my mother, would you come up here and say a few words to these people? She'd walk up in this pulpit and she'd shake like a leaf. I never heard her make a public speech. I never heard her sing a solo in public. I've heard her sing at home in old house sweet. She couldn't play much, but she'd speck on the piano and she'd sing, oh, happy day that fixed my choice and all the good old songs. But let me tell you something. I can name tonight one after another. My dear mother won the team. When our brother got sick in the hospital the night of Tennessee, and she was hundreds of miles away, she said, I must leave my work. I must leave everything. Lou is lost. He needs to be saved. She went to Nashville, Tennessee, and went to his bedside day after day until finally she won him to be. Oh, I tell you tonight, what we need in our churches what we need in our ministry, what Tom Malone needs, whatever preacher needs, what deacons need, what church leaders need, is a broken heart over the lost souls that are all around us. He said, they don't care. They don't care. You wouldn't put one little finger to lift men's burdens. Yonder in Detroit some time ago, it is said that a 16-year-old girl was taken to Detroit to receive hospital. She was diseased with disease on ministry. Sixteen years of age, her body literally, literally racked with disease and dying. It is said that a good Christian man was called to talk to her at a bedside. This man came and said, young lady, they say you're dying. I don't know if it's true or not, but they said she was so rotten with disease that her fingernails were loose enough to be pulled from her fingers. This man sat for a bed and said... I came to tell you God loved you. He said no matter what you've done, Jesus will save you today. He gave her John 3.16. He told the story of the, of the cross and the love of Jesus and his power to save. He said, dear, would you like to be saved? She said, oh yes, I'd like to be saved. They tell me I'm not going to live. I want to be a Christian. And he led her to the Lord and they had prayer. And when they got through praying, she wiped her tears. He said, you know you're saved. Yes, I do. She said, now I'd like to ask you a question. 
She said, I appreciate so much you coming to tell me how to be saved. Said, I want to ask you a question. Said, I'm 16 years old. I started on the wrong road. I started digging out of garbage cans and living in back alleys when I was a 10 year old girl. He said, I'm 16 years old and I'm at the end of life and I'm going to die. I'd like to ask you a question. I don't mean to offend you. I appreciate you coming, but I want to ask you something. She said, where were you preachers and Sunday school teachers and church workers when I was a 10 year old girl? Boy, that's a good question. That's a good question. And let me tell you tonight, there are countless hundreds and thousands of people that can be won. I was thinking today, I've never failed to win an 11 or 12 or 13 year old boy or girl. Never missed on one yet. Never saw one of them. Never saw the first. So help me, God, I've never failed to win an 11, 12, 13, 14 year old boy or girl. Never saw one yet. Maybe they are. I've never seen them. Why don't we win? Oh, I think of that day down on that Methodist church when I was a nine-year-old boy. I went down the aisle, an 11-year-old boy. I wanted to be saved. I reached up my little old trembling hand and said to that preacher, I want to be a Christian. He patted me on the head. He said a few kind words to me, nothing about the Bible. They wrote down my name, said, come back next Sunday. Listen, that preacher didn't believe that 11-year-old boys could have a hungry heart. That preacher didn't believe that 11-year-old boys knew enough about what they're doing and about sin to lose their soul and go to hell. Oh, we don't care. You say, well, we keep... Oh, yes, you can. You get your heart in the face. You get burdened and broken and concerned. I'll tell you right now, I lack of tears and compassion. I was thinking today over yonder when so many people were weeping and, and praying and heartbroken and burdened. I was thinking a lot of religious leaders in America stick their head in that door and laugh and mock and say it's all emotion. But I'm going to tell you something. I know it takes something more than emotion. But if you can go day after day and week after week, and if you can preach without ever shedding a tear, and if you can be a Christian and attend our churches and never weep over lost souls, there's something wrong in your life. We need some tears. We need a broken heart. We need to be burdened. We need to be concerned. Well, Jesus talked about something else, and I, I won't anywhere near get all said I'd like to say. But he talked to him about the giving. He said, you pay tithe, but you do it methodically. And he said that you omit a lot of things about this, the weightier matters, judgment, mercy, and faith. You say, Mr. Malone, you're going to preach song about money? Yes. Yes, I am. I sure am. Praise God, I aim to. I couldn't preach long without getting down to your pocketbook. Oh, you say, aren't you afraid that somebody will say you're preaching for money? No, not at all. They say, aren't you embarrassed to talk about giving and tithing and offerings and money? Oh, no, I'm not embarrassed. A lot of people are, but I'm not. I settled that a long time ago. I said that when I had my first little church in a little town, Leonard, Michigan, where I stayed 11 months. I settled that when that man came and said, your salary while you're here, Brother Tom, is going to be $14 a week. I settled it right there. I took that $14 and went back to that seven-room parsonage, my bride and I. Got one stick of furniture in it, seven big rooms. I knew it. 
$14 to heat it to keep two southerners warm. We got down on our knees together in the floor. We spread that $14 out before God. I said, Lord, I can't live on $14 a week, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can live from your hand, and whatever you send me, that's good enough for me. And my wife and I made a covenant together. Listen, I'm not saying it tonight to embrace you. Oh, God, have mercy. When I look within, I feel like crying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But I settled that thing right then. I said, Lord, I'm going to give to you, not just the tithe. I'm going to be sure that I've given until I won't covet money. I'm going to be sure that I give till I don't set my heart on riches. I'm going to give until I'm sure that I can preach about it and not be embarrassed. I've never been embarrassed about preaching on this. Oh, somebody comes around with their face all twisted up and says, well, Brother Tom, I do believe in giving till it hurts. Oh, you missed the whole thing. You got it all backwards. Nothing said in the Bible about giving till it hurts. Give till it feels good, the Bible. You give him till it hurts. You're not giving up. I like that fellow that uh, a doctor baptized him. And he said, somebody said, looks like you got your bill for him. Said, yeah, that's right. Said, you don't mean you don't get that? Yes, sir. He said, I don't cut that baptized. I kind of think he had something. Listen, seriously. You take this old book sometime. You get you a Bible concordance. You start over there in the book of Genesis and you wade through it every time you talk, finally talk about tithing and offering and Christian giving and giving cheerfully and liberally and sacrificially. You wade through it and you'll find there's never a revival that it wasn't involved. You'll find you can't be right with God until you're honest with God. You'll find that God never talked any plainer than he did when he talked about giving unto God. He said to you, Robert, you're person of the curse. And let me tell you something. There's a many a preacher that's starving to death tonight, not because God wants him to, but because he's been too stingy with God and cheating God, and he can't preach on tithing because he doesn't do it himself. Boy, I got some people in my church, God bless them. How I love them. Dear old lady, every once in a while, she comes to me and she says, Brother Tom, she still speaks in broken English. She's a housekeeper. She's about 70 years of age. She does housework. She comes and says, I have a love letter. And it's $80. It's $100. It's $200. Her hands are strong as a man's. Oh, when I look at that dear old saint of God sitting there smiling while I preach and know she's giving to God and enjoying it, having so much fun out of it, I think of a lot of Christians. Oh, you say, I keep tired. No, but you can smoke a package of cigarettes. Oh, you say, I keep tithing to God. No, but you got a television screen as big as that door back yonder. You say, no, I can't do that. I said, preacher, you ought not talk about money. Oh, yes, I am. You might say, no, I couldn't say too much about it because the Bible, I think, has actually about more to say about that than nearly anything. You know, there's just a lot of people that are never going to be blessed, never going to have real Christian joy. Never going to have the power of God. Never going to be real happy. Never going to be fruitful. Because he's straightened up with God on this thing. Well, there are two other things. Jesus talked about in this chapter inconsistent living. He said you strain it in that and swallow a candle. And the fifth thing 
They lost and didn't know it. They'd go into hell. I don't know whether I could prove this or not, but I believe tonight there are far more lost church members than there are saved. I wouldn't be surprised if the truth were known tonight that there are more lost preachers than there are saved. I wouldn't be much surprised. Young lady and young man came to my office quite some time ago, and both of them had a Bible. And the young lady and young man were contemplating marriage. And they said, we want to talk to you. We are of a different faith, as they put it. And she said, especially, I have some questions I'd like to ask you. She had a Bible. She opened it. She had it in her lap. Sitting in my office, I could see it. Listen, there's nothing wrong about that Bible, brother. That thing's been read. It's been marked. I could see the markings in it. I could see it's been used. She handled it like she was devoted to it. She opened it up and she started over here in the Old Testament and she asked me a question or two. I tried to give her the answer. She'd ask me another. Right in the middle of it, I felt led to ask her one. And I said to her, young lady, have you been born again? She said, if you mean, Mr. Malone, have I been baptized? Like you were baptized and like you baptized, please? No. I said, no, I didn't mean that. I mean, have you been born? Her head dropped and she said, no, I haven't been born again. I said, well, then let's settle that. And we told her how to be saved. We got down on her knees and we prayed about it. Now listen, there she was. She came with a Bible. She read it. She marked it. She had questions to ask. She wanted to find out about some doctrines and, some, and so forth. Hadn't been saved. You know, there's a many folks who've been baptized and joined the church in my place. If it died a night, they wouldn't go to heaven. Many a Christian goes home tonight and goes to the bed and in the darkness. They're honest with themselves and they say, if I die tonight, God have mercy. I don't know where I'd wind up. Jesus said, how can you speak the damnation of hell? Oh, may the Spirit of God show us tonight that we need to be saved and need to be dedicated to him and sold out to Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.